0: The Middle Ages were a time of decentralized government and constant threat of war and invasion. Feudalism is the control of land. Under the feudal system at every social level, land was granted to people in exchange for their service. Feudal society was dominated and controlled by warlords and powerful individuals. Charlemagne divided his vast empire into counties in order to effectively control his lands. He rewarded his best knights with lands called benefices, or fiefs. In return for these lands, the men agreed to fight for Charlemagne whenever he called them. This was the most effective way to maintain an army, since it was impossible to maintain large armies or support them at this time. Charlemagne's ideas caught on through much of Europe and became the standard. Kings tried to acquire as many vassals as they could because military strength lay in numbers. Feudalism dominated medieval societies of the 10th to 13th centuries. It was an established social hierarchy based on local administrative control and the distribution of land into fiefs. A lord gave a fief of either a few to a thousand acres, which included small villages with serfs and a castle to his vassal. There was also the promise of military and legal protection in return for a payment of some kind from the vassal who received it. Payment usually meant military service, either a short or long military expedition, escort duty, serving as a castle's guard, or allowing the Lord to live in your own castle. Over time, the military service due was reduced to typically 40 days to prevent nobles from having to leave their lands unattended for too long. Vassals also gave the lords advice and sat as members of their courts. They also owed financial assistance, such as ransom money, or to pay their lord's daughter's dowry. William the Conqueror considered all of England as his personal property. William could therefore give a parcel of land to a noble who in return would be William's vassal. The vassal promised loyalty and military service, which entailed fighting in William's army or protecting the crown's assets, such as castles. William, as well as other feudal kings and lords, did their best to have as many vassals as possible because large numbers of followers added importance, strength, and prestige to his position. The vassal received all income from the land, had authority over its inhabitants, and could pass the same rights on to his heirs. Nobles who received land sometimes had much more than they either needed or could manage so they often sublet parts of it to tenant vassals. Once again the person was given the right to use and profit from the land and in return owed military service. The promise of protection was very important during this time because there were frequent raids, from hostile neighboring states and perpetual danger from bandits. Authority was soon held from the highest to the lowest levels of society. They lived off the labors of others and didn't farm or engage in trade. The knights' sole occupation was waging war. The feudal system perpetuated itself in a never ending loop. Control of land required the ability to perform military service. Military service was expensive due to the cost of weapons, armor, and horses. Land provided funds to meet these costs. Knights were paid in a share of plunder. In war, everything meant everything became fair game. This meant there was a perpetual divide between the landed aristocracy and those who worked the land for them. Feudal society created very localized groups of community with loyalty to a specific local lord who exercised absolute authority. In order to defend themselves and their fiefs, knights built castles in the center of the land they ruled. They were the private fortified residence of a lord or noble. Castles allowed them to defend themselves from attacks or to be used as a base of operations in enemy territory. They were a response to Muslim and Viking raids and attacks. Castles were originally made using wooden timbers and built at the top of a hill to use the land's natural features to help with defense. Most castles were built on a spring, so they had a ready source of water. They were built by the local people who knew how to fell trees, dig, and work the wood into the earth. It would have taken 50 people, about 40 working days, to build a castle. A moat was a defensive ditch with steep sides dug around the castle and filled with water. It prevented siege towers from reaching the walls and prevented the walls from being undermined. There was typically a drawbridge across it to get to the castle's gate. The gatehouse was built at the gate to help reinforce the castle's defense at its weakest point. It allowed those inside to control the flow of traffic. It contained a series of defenses to make a direct assault more difficult than just battering down a simple gate. There were several wooden grills spaced apart and reinforced with metal to block a passage, and arrow slits to allow defenders to strike the enemy. The passage through the Great Gateway was lengthened to force an assailant to spend more time in a confined space under fire and unable to retaliate. The castle's walls were usually 10 feet thick and 39 feet tall. They had walkways from which defenders could fire arrows down on the attackers. There were also slits in the walls that allowed archers to shoot arrows at the attackers while remaining safe from return fire. The keep was a large tower and the last place of defense. Cats and dogs lived in the castle to help kill rats and keep them from eating grain stores. During the Middle Ages, there were three main types of soldiers, foot soldiers, archers and knights. Some knights were heavily armored soldiers who often rode on horseback. Knights wore heavy armor made of metal. There were two main kind of armor, chainmail and plate. Chainmail was made from thousands of metal rings. Knights wore padded cloaks underneath the armor to help them carry the weight of the armor, which weighed as much as 30 pounds. Although chainmail was flexible and offered good protection, it could be pierced by an arrow or thin sword. Only the wealthiest nobles could afford to be a mounted knight. They needed very expensive armor and a powerful warhorse. One of the knight's most important possessions was this warhorse. This horse was trained for battle and wouldn't shy away from blood or combat. A good war horse meant the difference between life and death for the knights. War horses were fitted with iron horseshoes, used as weapons against foot soldiers. Horses might also wear chain mail. It took skill to ride a horse and fight with heavy armor on. A mounted knight carried a lance. This was a long wooden pole with a metal tip and a handguard. Since the lance was so long, A knight could remain on his horse, which gave him a serious advantage against foot soldiers. A lance could also knock enemy knights off their horses. Once the knight dismounted, or if his lance broke, the sword became the preferred weapon. Some knights used a one-handed sword and a shield, while others preferred a larger two-handed sword. Some two-handed swords were well over five feet long. There were several ways to become a knight. The first was by being very brave during a battle. After the battle, he might be awarded a knighthood by the king, his lord, or even another knight. More commonly, a noble boy was sent at the age of seven to live in the household of his father's lord or another knight. He was made a page, which was basically a knight's personal servant and served meals, clean clothes, and carried messages. The page also learned the proper way to behave and would also begin his military training by practicing with other pages using wooden shields and swords. He would also learn to ride a horse. By 15, he became a squire, which meant shield-bearer. Now he took care of the knight's horses, cleaned his armor and his weapons, and accompanied the knight to the battlefield. Squires had to be ready to fight. They trained with real weapons and were taught their fighting skills by their knight. They had to be in good shape and strong, practicing their horsemanship and perfecting the skills of jousting and fighting from the saddle. Squires practiced jousting using a wooden dummy. Since they needed to know how to defend their own castle as well as how to attack enemy castles, squires also learned castle and siege warfare from their knights. Young men remained squires, for five or six years. Once a squire demonstrated his bravery and skill in battle, he became a knight at the age of 21. After a night alone spent in prayer, he knelt before another knight, lord, or king, and swore to honor and protect his king and the church. The lord would tap the squire on the shoulder with his sword, making him a full-fledged knight, and present him, with a pair of riding spurs and a sword. When not fighting wars, knights practiced their skills in tournaments and jousting. A town or area would invite knights from other areas to to a tournament. Typically, local knights fought against the visiting knights in a battle which took place on a large field. A large crowd would gather to watch. There would even be stands built for the local nobles to sit and watch. Shouting war cries and showing off their armor and coat of arms, the tournament began with each side lining up, preparing for the charge. At the sound of a bugle, each side lowered their lances and charged. Those knights, still on their horses after the first charge, would then turn and charge again. The word tournament or tourney comes from the word for turn. This continued until one side won. Tournaments were dangerous. While they used blunted lances, many were still injured. The best knight from each side was often awarded a prize. Jousting was another popular competition. Two knights charged each other with lances and tried to knock each other off their horse. Jousting was the highlight of many tournaments. The winners were heroes like the sports stars of today. Those knights who lost forfeited their horses and armor and had to buy them back. A talented knight could become rich this way. Knights were expected to behave a certain way. This was the code of chivalry. There were 10 commandments of chivalry. One, believe the church's teachings and observe all the church's directions. Two, defend the church. Three, respect and defend the weak. Four, love your country. Five, do not fear your enemy. Six, Show no mercy and do not hesitate to make war with the infidel. Perform all your feudal duties as long as they do not conflict with the laws of God Was the seventh. Eight, never lie or go back on your word. Nine, be generous. Ten, always and everywhere be right and good against evil and injustice. Not all knights followed the code especially when it came to dealing with non-nobles. Knights often fought in order to pillage. Ransacking a city or town could make a knight quite rich, even if it meant betraying the code of chivalry. Women could also be knights. The Order of the Hatchet in Catalonia, Spain, was a female military order of knighthood founded in 1149 by Raymond Berenger, Count of Barcelona. The order honored the town of Tortosa's female defenders who triumphed against the Muslim attack. The women admitted to the order received many privileges, including exemption from all taxes, and took precedence over men in public assemblies. The majority of people living during the Middle Ages lived in the country and worked as farmers. They were organized and controlled through village farms known as manors. Nobles, The title nobility and simple knights exploited the manors and the peasants. Lords controlled the manors, and the Lord let them farm the land in exchange for their services and a portion of their crops. The Lord Himself had a quarter to one third of the land, and all the crops grown on this acreage were His alone. The Lord also owned the forest, the streams, and the birds that flew overhead. Peasants were forbidden to hunt, and death was the punishment. For killing a deer. There were different types of peasants, although all were to one degree or another dependent on the lord and considered his property. The freeman was a peasant with his own modest property, free from the lord. The serf was a peasant who had surrendered his property and himself to the lord in exchange for assistance and protection. Serfs often spent up to three days a week working for the lords. The Lord also had the right to subject his tenant to other rules, such as making them bake their bread in his oven and charging them for the privilege, or forcing them to surrender the choice parts of all animals slaughtered on his lands. Without the Lord's permission, a serf could not travel or marry. Serfs had the lowest status and were the least protected, and they sometimes fled to monasteries rather than continue their servitude. There were also escapees, who roamed the land as beggars, searching for new and better masters. It was, however, to a lord's advantage to keep his serfs healthy and happy. His welfare, like theirs, depended on a successful harvest. And wise lords often permitted their serfs to market their harvest surpluses and keep the profits. Serfs were also able to pass on their property and worldly goods to their children, although many lords collected an inheritance tax, which was usually the deceased best animal. The, the serfs worked hard all year, growing crops such as barley, wheat, and oats. The technological advances of the 9th and 10th century helped these farmers. In the 800s, the collar harness allowed horses to pull heavy cart loads. In the 900s, the horseshoe and the three-field system of crop rotation came about. Prior to the 900s, a farmer used a two-field crop system, using one field for a crop, while another field of equal size was left unplanted. The following year, the two fields were changed. In the three-field system, there was an autumn planting of grain and a spring planting of peas, beans, oats, and barley. This reduced the unplanted field by one third. The spring planting of vegetables improved the soil and increased nitrogen. And the vegetables also improved the peasant diet. Having two harvests per year was better insurance against famine and crop failure. The additional oats and horse collar allowed the substitution of horses for slower oxen. The horseshoe protected horses' feet from the added weight and stress of a cart or wagon, as well as protection in the colder and weather wetter water weather. Boy, that's hard. Wetter weather of northern Europe. Nonetheless, the ratio of seed to grain was consistently poor, about 2 bushels of seed were needed to produce six to 10 bushels of grain. As a result, there was rarely an abundance of bread or ale, which were a serf's staple foods. People mostly drank ale because the water was bad and would make them sick. Everyone depended on the grain crops, and when they failed or were short, the peasants went hungry. There wasn't much variety in a serf's diet. They ate mostly bread and stew. The bread was gritty, from the millstones used to grind the grain, which caused people's teeth to wear down quickly. Stew had beans, dried peas, cabbage, and other vegetables, sometimes flavored with a bit of meat or bones. Pork was the major source of protein, and every peasant household had its pigs. However, they didn't have a way to keep their meat cold. They would eat it fresh and use leftover meat with salt, smoked or salted, to to preserve it. Cheese and eggs were usually saved for special occasions. They also had small personal gardens where they grew vegetables and also a few animals such as pigs, sometimes chickens for eggs, and a cow for milk. Serfs lived in a small one or two room, very crowded house, with everyone sleeping in the same room as well as the family's cow. The homes were dark, smoky from the indoor cooking fire and uncomfortable. Most serfs wore plain clothing made from heavy wool to keep them warm during the winter. Men wore a tunic, woolen stockings, breeches, and a cloak. Women wore a long skirt called a kirtle, an apron, woolen stockings, and a cloak. City life was very different from country life, but it wasn't much easier. Kings granted charters to those who agreed to live and work within the towns. The charters guaranteed the townspeople safety and a degree of independence unknown on a lord's land. The original purpose for towns was to concentrate skilled labor and manufacture the finished goods desired by lords and bishops. The new towns were magnets for ambitious and skilled peasants who gained their freedom from serfdom. Townspeople resented the laws and customs of the traditional society, which gave the nobility and clergy special privileges. They wanted a government in which policy was determined by themselves. Cities were crowded and dirty. Most people worked as craftsmen and were members of a guild. Guilds in the Middle Ages were associations of groups of craftsmen. The word guild comes from the tribute or payment which members paid guilds for their membership there could be as many as a hundred different guilds in a major city each guild focused on a specific trade such as candle makers weavers or a tanners guild they played an important role in society providing a way for trade skills to be learned and passed down members of a guild could rise in society through hard work the guilds protected members in many ways they control working conditions and the hours of work. Guilds prevented non-guild members from selling competitive products. Some guild members were even exempt from paying high taxes to the lords and the kings. Guilds also enforced numerous rules that helped to keep the quality of work and pricing consistent. This helped consumers know they were getting the good product at the best price. Each guild had three defined positions. Apprentice, journeyman, and master. Boys became apprentice when they agreed to work seven years in exchange for learning the craft, plus their food, clothing, and shelter. Once the apprenticeship was complete, they became journeymen. They still worked for the master, but earned wages. The highest position in a guild or craft was the master. To become masters, journeymen needed the guild's approval. A journeyman would have to prove his skill, producing a masterpiece that got him the approval of the guild members, plus play whatever politics needed to get approval from them. Once he became a master, though, he could open his own shop and train his own apprentices. There were also merchant guilds that controlled trade. They became very powerful and controlled much of the local economy. These powerful guilds had their own guild hall in a town where they held courts to settle member disputes and hand out punishment for those who broke their rules. Even though many women during the Middle Ages learned skilled crafts, they were not allowed to join a guild or form one. Christianity and the church played a major role in Europe. The local church was the center of town life, People attended weekly ceremonies. They were married, confirmed, and buried at the church. The church became very rich and powerful. People gave the church one-tenth of their earning as tithes. Everyone paid this. They also paid the church for various sacraments, such as baptism, marriage, and burial services. People also paid penances to the church when they did something wrong. And the wealthy often gave the church land to ensure a warm welcome in heaven. Eventually, the church owned about one third of the land in Western Europe. The church was independent. They did not pay the king or nobles any tax for their land. Church leaders became rich and powerful. The leader of the church was the pope. Below the pope were powerful men called cardinals. Next came bishops and abbots. Bishops and abbots swore loyalty and received their offices from the king. Many nobles became leaders such as abbots or bishops in the church. The lower clergy lived among the peasants and were often peasants themselves. Lords had the right to choose whomever they wished to the post of parish priest, but they had to set their candidate free. Ordinary people looked to religion for comfort and consolation. They especially associated religion with the major christian holidays and festivals they baptized their children attended mass learned the lord's prayer and received their last rites religious instruction remained at a bare minimum since local priests were usually no better educated than their congregations as a result the church sponsored street da- dramas designed to impart bible stories highlight church history or instill basic Christian moral values. People became particularly attached to the veneration of saints and relics who supposedly had great healing powers and who were thought to protect the serfs. The Virgin Mary was also widely revered. Many churches were built during the Middle Ages. The biggest were cathedrals, headquarters of bishops. Cathedrals were built to inspire awe, and were the most expensive and beautiful buildings built at the time. Sometimes construction on a cathedral took 200 years or more to finish. Some master masons worked on a single cathedral for their entire life. Most cathedrals were built in the shape of a cross. Some of the Middle Ages' great art was produced for cathedrals, including stained glass windows, sculpture, architect, architecture, and painted murals. A monastery was a building or buildings where people lived devoting their time and life to God. People who lived in a monastery were called monks. The monastery was self-contained. Everything the monastery and its inhabitants needed was provided by the monks. They made their own clothes and grew their own food. They had no need of the outside world. This way they could be isolated and totally focused on God. The monks in the monasteries were some of the only people in the Middle Ages who knew how to read and write. They provided an education to the rest of the world. The monks also wrote books and recorded events. Although monks were focused on God, they still played an important part in the community. Monasteries were a place where travelers could stay during the Middle Ages, as there were very few inns. Monks also helped feed and take care of the poor take care of the sick, and provide education to boys in the local community. The majority of the monks spent part of their days praying, worshiping in church, reading the Bible, and meditating. The rest of the day was spent working hard. Monks had different jobs depending on their talents and interests. Some worked the land growing growing food for other monks to eat. Others washed clothes, cooked food, or did repairs. Some monks were scribes and spent their days copying manuscripts and making books. Almost all the monks spent much of their day in silence. The abbot was the head of the monastery or abbey. His assistant was the prior. The lector was in charge of reading the lessons in church. The cantor led the monk's choir and the sacrist was the monk in charge of the monastery's library. Monks generally took vows when they entered an order, agreeing to dedicate their life to the monastery, the order, and God. They gave up worldly goods and took vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The largest orders of monks were the Benedictines, Carthusians, and Cistercians. Each monastery had an open area called a cloister. Monasteries owned a lot of land and were very wealthy. By the end of the Middle Ages, the knight was no longer an important part of the army. Many countries now had standing armies. They no longer needed knights to fight. It was much easier to, harm, to arm a soldier and pay for a standing army. There was also a change in battle tactics and new weapons. Longbows and firearms made the knight's heavy armor cumbersome and useless. By the end of the Middle Ages, Many knights paid the king money instead of fighting. So the king used that money to pay soldiers to fight. Feudalism ultimately favored those at the top. Kings and the highest-ranking nobility control large numbers of commoners and large areas of land, as well as other nobles beneath them. Lesser nobles had authority over smaller areas of land and fewer people. Knights were the lowest level of nobility. They usually controlled but did not own land and had to serve other nobles. When a vassal died without an heir, the fief reverted back to the king to either keep for himself or redistribute it to another vassal. However, over time, control of castles allowed nobles to defy kings or other overlords. The power kings once held gradually passed into the hands of the nobles. Many knights considered the longbow a cowardly weapon. But as the Middle Ages advanced, the longbow became a major part of winning battles. During the Battle of Agincourt, Henry V, King of England, had more than 3,000 French prisoners executed, including many knights. This act went completely against chivalry. Chivalry guaranteed a knight would become a hostage and held for ransom. Henry killed the prisoners because he was worried they would escape and rejoin the fighting. However, in massacring the prisoners, he made the long upheld rules of war entirely obsolete. Chivalry, like Henry's prisoners, was dead.